This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green, and welcome back to the show. This is episode 177, and today I sat down with Christy Morris, the founder and CEO of Kylo. Kylo is Australia's leading luxury wellness brand that began with the opening of its award-winning med spa and has recently expanded to include a range of wellness super blends with critical macro and micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, and traditional herbs to look, feel, and sleep your best. In this episode, Christy shares her story from struggling in school and working at McDonald's to working as a flight attendant for Virgin Airlines, to opening up a coffee shop at just 24 years old, to owning and operating four McDonald's restaurants, to getting inspired after a trip to LA to open a med spa in Australia. We talk about why she dropped out of high school eight weeks before graduation, how she put her resume inside a chocolate cake, which resulted in getting a call back the same day, and why health issues with her four-year-old led to a life-changing trip to LA. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and check us out at stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Christy. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'm really excited to hear your story in building Kylo. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lee. It's great to be here. And yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation today. I'm so excited. This is your first podcast interview. It's it's like thrilling. Thank you so much. You have a very cool brand. You're based in Australia. I discovered you at the Founder Made Summit in New York City. And I've been loving your product. Before we kind of dive into your business, I'd love to hear more about you, what it was like growing up, what kind of kid were you, did you have siblings, your parents? Can you kind of paint the picture for us a little bit? Sure. So my parents, well, my father was married uh, before, so he had two sons and then he married my mother later and had me. So I have two half siblings, but I class them as my full brothers because we grew up together. And I guess my life when I was in my younger years, my father was a professional Australian rugby league player. So he traveled internationally and throughout Australia. So I think my early years of life were sort of more with my mum and then, you know, when my dad would be around, that was always really positive for us as a family. And my parents were both entrepreneurs. When my father finished his football career, I was only four and my parents then went down the journey of being approved by McDonald's to be McDonald's owner operators in Australia. And that was a really early time for McDonald's like the in franchise? our country. Yeah. So that's what you mean by approved by McDonald's to open up their own kind of franchise yeah. McDonald's. 
restaurants. Yeah, wow. and it was early days for McDonald's in Australia. So this is in the early 80s. So my parents were working seven days a week through that time and I would be picked up from school by someone that worked for them or them depending on if they could get there and then I would sit in the drive through at McDonald's until 7 or 8 o'clock at night before we would go home. So I, I guess like my early years I saw the level of work that my parents put in to building a business and in those days of McDonald's it was so new to Australia that they had to really prove that brand in our country. So that was sort of my early, early years. Schooling for me, I went to really good schools. I struggled at school. I feel on reflection I was probably too young when I started school emotionally and probably from a maturity. What do you mean? Well, I was... How young were you? Well, I was one of the youngest in the class. We, it's changed in Australia now, but I was four turning five going into that year. Probably should have waited another year and then entered at the age of five which Australia has changed that. We do that now. You start later. And I just struggled at school. I never did very well at school. I was more into sport and that was sort of more my passion. And I always felt like I didn't understand what was really going on around me in class. And then I think what happened is then in year five, I repeated that year. And I think that was probably detrimental to how I viewed myself. All my friends were a year ahead of me. The school wouldn't allow me to talk to them anymore. Very strange way of doing things back then. So if they see me teach, like talking to someone at lunch, they're like, you can't talk to them. They're not in your year. So I was really miserable that year. My mum and dad then moved me to a new school so I could start fresh. And I think that was a really positive change for me. And I sort of was able to not feel like the dumb person in the room and got a new start. But I think that lingering mindset stayed with me throughout my whole schooling. And then in year, in my grade nine, I then went on an exchange program actually to the US and went to Montana and came back from that nine-week cultural exchange really wanting to go back. And so I ended up going back and completing my junior and senior year in Montana. That experience was really good for me. I think it made me really worldly, just having to navigate in a different country without your parents, maybe a little too much freedom. It's really funny as an American to hear you say that being in Montana made you feel worldly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that does sound quite strange when I think about Montana, but I think their mindset, I was this foreign person and just learning to travel on my own just, I guess, just being more independent. I think American students are probably a lot more independent than the Australian student. We're not allowed to leave school at lunchtime. We don't drive to school in Australia. All of those things sort of come later for us. I think that gave me, I don't know, I, I grew up quite quickly in that period. And then... How old were you when you were doing this, when you were in Montana? I left Australia when I was 15 and a half and went straight into junior year. So again, I was then younger for my year, but I don't know, I felt a different type of confidence there. I feel like we don't, in Australia, as much as I love being in Australia, we do have a bit of a tall poppy syndrome. I think in America, you're, you're more open to accepting people for who they are and their differences. Well, that was my personal experience. What syndrome? What so, is this called? We call it tall poppy syndrome tall in Australia. Poppy. I thought that's what you said, but I was like, oh, what? Like, poppy, I've never heard. No, but- Poppy as in the flower. Oh, tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. What does this mean? Yeah. So basically Australians 
love when people are on the rise and, and on the way up and working hard to achieve something. But then if you get too successful, we have this mindset in Australia where you're not allowed to celebrate being good at something. So you must stay quiet and humble about it. It's kind of the opposite to the vibe in Australia. When you think about like the NFL players and they do really well on the field and they like run around like, look at me, look at me. And that's celebrated. Yeah, it's the same thing with like capitalism, you know, it's like the more money you make, let's flaunt it everywhere. You know, everybody's just like, once you get up, you keep going. You just want to prove how much more you have or how good you are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think we're just not. and And it's a positive to being this way, too. But I think I just felt going to Australia, just from Australia to America, less judgment, I guess. I don't know. I'd gone from an all girls, very strict private school to a co-ed, no uniform, just be you. It was a really fun experience for me and I probably got up to a little bit too much mischief and didn't focus enough on school, but I think, you know, you learn from that too. So I guess then my early years and then I came back to Australia at the end of that year, at the end of my senior year, but I actually didn't complete my senior year. I wasn't doing that well in school and with eight weeks to go, my parents decided to bring me home. Which is this fine. was in Montana. You were finishing high school, I think, right? Yeah. And yes. You did high school in Montana. And eight weeks before graduating, you were kind of like, eh, you're just not, you're just too much. So did you, so did just, you ever graduate high school? I never graduated from school. No. Wow. I yeah. love that, actually. <laughs> I like love that. I dropped out of college. And yeah, yeah. you know, school isn't for everyone. It isn't. And I think we all learn differently. And if I look back on my life, I probably, as again, started too early, but I think I might have had maybe some concept learning difficulties or whether I had that in my head, I'm not sure. It's definitely carried into my life as a mindset that I have personally that I've had to work on. But yeah, school was just not for me. I think I think I have peaked later in life with dedication and commitment to learning. It sort of didn't come to me until later. Yeah. Right. Yeah, maybe you're just one of those people like me that if you really like something, you'll learn as much as you can about it. But if you're not interested, like you can't force me to learn something that's not interesting. Exactly. I, just I think won't that's be able what that passion. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then I came home and then I just went straight. My friends back in Australia were still at school because the school year is different. And so I just went straight into working at McDonald's at the age of 17. And then I went to a college and did an advanced diploma of business while I was working at McDonald's at the same time to, so I guess, advance some skills so I could have a career. So you worked at McDonald's and what were you doing at McDonald's? I was just a crew person initially. And then when I finished doing the college, I asked my parents if I could go into management with them. And so then I went into management with McDonald's and then went through the ranks of McDonald's. And then at the age of 22, I decided to then leave McDonald's. But throughout that period, I think working in a family environment was a real positive for me. Yeah. I mean, that sounds interesting to me. Because I'm like, you kind of got to learn about franchise and operating a business, right? What were some of the things that you maybe learned through going through the management ranks of McDonald's that have stuck with you today? Yeah, I think McDonald's has taught me everything I know today. And I think multitasking is super key in McDonald's and learning operationally about a business and how it works and all the different fundamental parts that come together. So if you don't manage 
your people correctly, they're not going to work effectively as a team. But if you don't roster to a certain figure, you're going to be out of budget. So all of these things come into play with McDonald's and they have such great systems and tools and ways to teach you. And I think it was my way of learning. I really connected with that business. And I think being able to problem solve under extreme pressure when you've got you know, 20, 30 staff on the floor, it's super busy and a machine breaks down or something goes wrong and you've got to find a way to fix that really quickly so that you can continue with those sales and all those customers that are staring at you. At such a young age, that type of pressure, I think, is was a gift really. And, and I think working for my parents, I think, you know, some people would have a different experience, but my parents were tough. And my dad was extra tough. And so my rostering was just rostered like everybody else. So if my shift fell on one of my best friend's 21st birthdays, well, I wasn't allowed to change that shift. So I missed two of my best friend's 21st birthdays <laughs> because my dad said, that's life and I'm not changing your shift for you. So because uh, I was rostered on nighttime for two of them. So I look back at all of that and I'm really grateful for that. Are you grateful or are you still a little bummed out? Like, come on, you know, Dad, I was a kid. I really would have loved to go that 21st birthday. You only turned 21 once. I think I was more angry at the time, but I think those lessons of just because you work for your parents, there's my dad was trying to instill a really strong work ethic that you are no different to anybody else. I genuinely can say I think that is a gift. I mean, that's like kind of relieving to say, but as a mom with my two-year-old, I'm thinking I would have let him go. Like, I just, I just want to let him go. Life's too short, you know, enjoy yeah. it. Like I would have just. Today, yes. Yeah. But 25 years ago, work in McDonald's was a different environment. You, you were rostered like your month and there was no changing and it was compulsory to work weekends. So that's what my dad's rule. Well, I don't want let anybody else in the business do this. So why are you mm. any different? You right. Know, if you would have, right. yeah. So it was kind of. What about, of, you, think, and I guess you couldn't get someone to cover for you, your shift or anything, because you mm-hmm. were in management, right? So, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. That sense. was my request. And I think my mom at the time supported me seeing if that I could request, but dad was like, no, because then that rule looks different for you. Mm. So. That yeah. makes sense. Okay. Because I was like, wait a minute, but you're his daughter, so you are special, right? But yeah. I guess you're right. If he's bending the rules for just you and no one else at the company, that's no good. Yeah. Yeah. Different times. <laughs> so what happened from there? So you were at McDonald's for a little bit, mm-hmm. moved up the ranks. Sounds like you stopped McDonald's when you were 22 and to do something else. Yeah, so I guess that next decade I had a few changes after that. I Virgin Australia Airlines opened in Australia and started. I really wanted to leave McDonald's and go and be a flight attendant. It seemed like a really cool, amazing job. I mean, it was the coolest airline. I was talking to someone about this the other day and I was like, where did it go? Like that was supposed to be the future. You know, I remember going on those planes and they just had it down. The experience was amazing. The lights were like purple and they played cool music and everybody on there was fun and the they just made it a delightful experience right and i was thinking to myself this is the future this is how all planes and all airlines are going to have to do what they're doing they're setting the new standard nope not anymore like what happened anyways i don't know what happened i just think at the time they were so electric in everything that they did and the culture that they had everyone wanted a piece of something new and different and i remember applying for that job and I so desperately wanted that job and I went for the interview and they did the big cattle call type interview where you know 200 people show up and you get put in a group of 30 
And I remember it had been two weeks and I hadn't heard anything. And I knew around that two to three week deadline, you get either an email that says no or a phone call that says you go to the next round. And I thought, how can I confirm the next round? Mm -hmm. So this kind of sounds crazy, but back then this was a thing to do. I got a chocolate cake made by a baker with my resume put in the middle and I put on the top of the cake, if you dare, I'll be there to help you make the air fair. And that was their slogan in Australia is that we make the air fair. And I sent it to their HR department and I got a phone call that day and said, we would like to invite you in to the next round. That's hilarious. You put your resume inside? How do you put a piece of paper inside of a cake? So I had a beautiful resume made up, like a front and a back on top of it. And then they made the cake as two layers. And so they cooked the first, put the top in, put the top part. It was a huge, big cake. must have been in plastic or something. Like you had to have something to protect the resume, right? Yeah, well, the plastic is on the front and the bottom of the resume like sits inside. And I just remember the bakery being really excited to make this cake. We've never done something like this before. This is really fun. (laughs) And delivered it to the department and they all ate the cake and I got the phone call. And I was lucky enough to get a job with Virgin. And they, they, you know, that was such a new company at the time. You felt like you were part of something really exciting. And I did that for two years and became a supervisor. And then an opportunity actually came up for a very small franchise in Australia called Gloria Jean's Coffee. And I, at 24, and, and on reflection, I was so young, decided to open up a coffee shop and left Virgin and did that for four years. And I learned a lot through that journey. 24 years old, you're opening a coffee shop. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. It's so young. I mean, you, you did more before 24 than most people, you know, I feel like that's insane. You worked at management roles at McDonald's and then you worked as a flight attendant and became supervisor at Virgin Airlines. And now you're 24 opening up your own coffee shop. That's hilarious. I know. And I think at the time I, I felt like that McDonald's experience and that operational experience, I would just jump into this coffee shop. I'll just make it work. It'll be easy. And it was like a CBD location. And, you know, initially it was going really well and the revenue was good. And then the building that I was in, the company moved out and times got pretty tough. And so I tried, was trying to sell the business. And in that time, it's just funny how things happen. A gentleman came into the coffee shop with a girl that I used to work with at McDonald's and she was now working in HR at Virgin. And she's like, introduced me to her boss and we had this great conversation and I was saying how I was selling the business. And I didn't think anything of that conversation and how I used to work at Virgin. And then I got a call to say, would I be interested in coming in for an interview to go into HR at Virgin? So I went for the interview and I said, you know, transparently, I don't have a degree in HR. And they said, we have 49 people in HR. Everyone has a degree we want to point a difference. You've been operational in Virgin. You've got experience running businesses. You'll have a different view. We're going to take a chance on you. Would you be interested? So, so and that was a bit of a tough time. I had, I had a steep learning curve in that journey of like, do I know what I'm doing? And I was really lucky with the girl, Natasha, that I was working alongside. She put a lot of effort into like training me and how to look at things and saying HR is common sense. You've done all of this. You've managed people. You've sat people down and had to performance manage them. It's no different 
at Virgin. And so I think having her championing me in that way was really unique and special. And then I ended up having an amazing career. Is Natasha the same one that came into your coffee Mm -hmm. shop? She is. Yeah. It's all right. So she like basically put you in front of her team, got you hired, helped mentor you. That's amazing. She did. And yeah, then what, we had did worked you sell? together. So Sorry, did you sell the coffee shop though? Did you end up selling before you joined the HR department? I had to work, go in and open the coffee shop until nine in the morning. We, I used to open at 6 a.m. and then go to Virgin and work. And I had to do that for a year until... I was able to get a transaction for the business. So it was it was a challenging year because I wanted to present a virgin like, I'm fine, I'm in, I've got nothing else to worry about. But I had this stress and guilt at the time because my mum would then go in and help work at the coffee shop. And I, I just remember feeling like I was probably too young emotionally to manage that properly. I look back and think I didn't handle that very well. I think why like looking well, I probably tried to avoid a lot of conversations around what was really going on and acknowledging how much effort my mom was putting in, not because I wasn't grateful, but probably more coming from a place of being a bit embarrassed. Mm. Like just thinking, oh, my mom's helping me and I need to make sure I'm really successful at Virgin. I don't know. I just, that's my view on looking back. I'm not, I can't remember the details. I just remember a feeling of how I felt through that time. Isn't that interesting how how feelings stay with us? Yes. And you don't remember too much about it, but you always remember how you feel. And I always feel that about people, right? It's like people, you remember them and you may not remember what was said or what exactly happened, but you're always, you're left with feelings from those people. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's that, that sense of failure. Like I felt like I failed that business and maybe if that happened to me now, I'd probably handle it so differently. But at that time at 24. What would you do differently? What do you wish you would have done differently? Probably ask my parents more for detailed help before getting to that point and knowing that they would guide me instead of trying to look like I've got this and I can do this all and I'm fine. And I I don't think I ever sat down with my parents and said, I'm not sure where this business is going. I'm struggling. I need your advice. Yeah, that's what I would do differently. Even before you got the HR Mm. opportunity, reaching out, being vulnerable, asking for help. Yeah. These are all very standard, I think, solo founder, first company things that happen. You know, it's very common. I think that first time founders are very afraid to ask for help. You want to feel like you know what you're doing, you can handle it. And yeah, I'm definitely it's that shame, isn't it? And I don't know why we as humans do that, but it's the more vulnerable, the more actual successful you will be because you're just opening up for people to come in and help you. Right. Because yeah. people want to help, but no one can yeah. help if they don't know what's going on. Or if that you yeah. Can't yeah, that's right. So your mom was helping out. And how long did you kind of keep the coffee shop going with your mom while you were balancing so yeah. the HR job? Yeah. So for 12 months and then the sale of the business happened finally. And there was such relief. And in that journey, I had also gotten married. And so, you know, we went down that road of, you know, becoming husband and wife and family. And I stayed with Virgin and my husband and I at the time went through an approval process to go into our own McDonald's restaurants, which we did over a four-year period. So when my first child was born, I was 30 and we went to the board of McDonald's in Australia and I think he was about eight weeks old and we got approved. And then over time, we slowly started to buy McDonald's off my parents. Yeah. So that sort of became the next chapter of my life. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. 
customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about. But Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You'll be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. All right. So you started kind of buying up a few McDonald's and creating your... How many of these McDonald's did you end up having? So we, as a husband and wife, had four McDonald's restaurants. And then sadly, you know, things happen in life. And 10 years into our marriage, we went through a divorce and that was you know a very full-on seven-year journey battle I should say I guess after because the McDonald's were then in his name as the sole owner operator but they'd come through my parents it got very complicated and then I went through a whole I was a mother to two children and I hadn't worked in the workforce for a few years because I went part-time with Virgin but after my second child. I sort of decided to be home with the kids and then go into the McDonald's with my husband over a period of time. And, yeah, so we went through that and that sort of, I guess, that sort of takes me to the Kylo story. Yeah. Yeah, if you want me, do you want me to enter into that now? Yeah, how did you go from, it sounds like a long kind of divorce battle, as you said, and you've got two kids and it sounds like you decided to start staying at home with the kids and you're going through this divorce. Now you're kind of a single mom, right? And you're probably trying to figure out what to do next. You aren't at Virgin anymore. You may or may not have any McDonald's left. I don't know. Well, that journey carried right into my Kylo years. But basically what happened is my eldest son, and this is, I guess, the journey of Kylo and how Kylo came about, but he had some health issues around OCD when he was at the age of four. And so I, with my two children, went to America to do some incredible treatment that was on offer in the US. And so I did four months in the US, came home, and then I met my business partner, Kath Merlot. And we were both on very similar journeys and I was sharing my story of what I was doing in the US and that I was going back. And in that time from my first trip to my second trip is when my husband and I separated. So I went back and my business partner, who I'd only just met through conversations and learning what I was doing, she called me and said, we're going to come over too and we're going to go down that journey. So it was a very unique start to our friendship. And we were both living in LA together, both doing similar things with our sons and on a path that I think was quite unique and bonded us in a way that's different to a normal connection that you make with a friend. And we often talked about all the gaps that we were seeing from what we were seeing in LA that was in Australia around wellness, medical and all the clinics and things that you have on offer in the US. And we were like, imagine if we could bring a concept back to Australia where it's a one-stop shop and People can come and do their skin and 
do wellness and see doctors and have everything in one place. So that's, I guess, that passion for that side of things came through that journey. And two years later, Kylo was born and opened after. So I had just started my separation. Was it two years or maybe three years? I'm trying to think. No, 2015. Sorry, two years later, we started the concept. And then another two years later, we opened Kylo. So it took us two years to actually create the business. And in that time, a couple of years later, I met my now husband and I had a third child 12 weeks after opening, sorry, 12 weeks before opening Kylo. (laughs) And so Kylo was a location. So Kylo originally started as like a clinic. And what were some of the services that you launched in this clinic in Australia? Yeah, so Kylo is a very unique space. We opened up in a beautiful boutique hotel that had just opened and it was a premier location in our city. It was a lot of hype. And so we opened with six therapists just doing skin for facials and high-level dermal skin and massage and body treatments to service the hotel with the goal that we wanted to grow that. And we also opened up with a doctor to do cosmetic. And then throughout those years, we are now we were 44 staff in the business, but we grew that over a period of time, not obviously opening with that many practitioners. And we've sort of grown the services based on the guest needs, learning from our guests what they want. And I just remember opening Kylo and I worked on reception for the first two years, the first 12 months, seven days a week. It was a much bigger beast that we took on than we realised you sort of go into something that you've never done before and go, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be easy. (laughs) Ignorance is bliss. You know, no one would start a company if they didn't have that ignorance is bliss in the beginning. That's right. And I think 14 months into opening, we hit COVID, you know, so by far the hardest moment that we've ever been through closing the doors to our business and realizing we only had $20,000 in the bank. We were still in such a startup mode. We had all this product on the shelf and we sell a lot of high-level skin products and just thinking, how are we going to come out the other side of this? And I just remember um, Isabella, who we had just recently employed to help like manage the business as our spa manager, her and I were like, okay, well, we can't open the business, but we can take phone calls. So why don't we put out to our database that we'll sell products and we'll offer an amazing deal. And we sold over $50,000 in four weeks of just pure product by answering phone calls Monday to Friday. And that allowed us cash back in the bank so that when the doors, Biologic Recherche, DMK and SkinCeuticals, so they're your, like, skin products. And I think we were shut down, like, for six solid weeks. Australian was bored. People are at home. They're like, what can I do? I can buy something. And so we would make sure we were, everything was express shipping so they'd get it within 24 hours. And we were offering, like, beautiful slip pillowcases with them for free. And it's trying to drive that. We had to get some money back in the bank. And then when we opened back up, we were allowed initially to open for massage only if we had remedial masseuses, which we did, because that was classed as a necessity. But we knew from an economic climate in that moment, who was going to pay $189 for a massage? We have to support our community. So we offered $99 massages for three months and we were literally book solid. And then we were allowed to bring in our other treatments again. But that 
cash flow just allowed us to sort of bounce back and then yeah but I I do just remember never feeling stressed quite like it (laughs) which I'm sure globally many people understand they everyone's been through it Mm. and so how did you so you have the skin products and then how did you get into the nutrition products yeah so what happened as we grew the business so when we opened back up we had 16 employees and within the next 12 months we'd hit 32 employees working in the business so we brought in naturopaths nutritionists life coaches and we're really growing I think COVID people were speaking I want to feel well I want to look after my health so we were really driving that side of the business and then we noticed that every time someone would come in for health the naturopath and nutritionist would be writing down a script for them to take home go buy this supplement go buy that supplement and we looked at and we sat down and we analyzed what are the areas that people are struggling with sleep gut health and overall immune system health and we thought why don't we create our own products for those three key pillars and then we're not sending people away to buy their products somewhere else so that journey took another like a solid 18 months to create because we wanted it to be pure we wanted it to be gluten dairy soy free we wanted to taste good and we wanted it to genuinely work and so we worked very closely and we even had a, a superstar doctor in the business that is from a functional medicine side. So we were really like working with her as well to create these products. And then we spent six months of taste testing to get the taste right. I've never found a super greens that tastes good. And I feel like ours genuinely is palatable. It's not yucky. <laughs> and then Kylo Nutrition was only born last year in April in our business in Australia. And then I went to the US in July to go to Cosmoprof because we've also created our own skin products through this time as well. And we just wanted to find some packaging. And through that journey, I met quite a few people in conversations who were really interested in learning about our Kylo nutrition. And then that's sort of how I went to my first founder made. And we've started to, we've got some stockists coming quite soon. We're just waiting on our products now. Our product is being manufactured in the US now. So at the end of August, we'll be now in the US. Yeah, which just sort of happened. I don't even know how to explain it. It just happened. <laughs> like it just wasn't intentional to go. We were focusing on Australia first, but we've kind of gone overseas almost first. And we're working, we've got some distribution for Israel and India and Hong Kong. So we're just finalizing our new, we have to change some of the ingredients for those countries, but we've been through our FDA approval for the US as well. So it's been a really massive last 12 months in our business. You really have some interesting products. You've got the collagen sleep well, the collagen look well, collagen feel well for your gut. You've got so many really great and there's really interesting flavors too that I think you guys did a great job on coming up with unique flavors. It's really hard to nail, you know, I think wellness blends that actually taste good. A lot of them are like really grainy or like they, and yours are not grainy at all, you know, and the flavors are really interesting. Whereas everybody just does chocolate, you know, it's like, yeah, why do we always have to do chocolate? (laughs) There's so many other flavors. (laughs) So yeah, really interesting stuff. So you've had the super blend kind of business for just a year now, and you said it's in the available in the US now. It will be at the end of August, so we'll be one online, but then we have some small stockists that will be starting up, and then we'll be on three online platforms as well. And we have 
quite a few applications in for some retailers. So we'll just, you know, put our fingers, fingers crossed. crossed. For, yeah, for some of those to pull off for us. <laughs> That's great. And so it's so funny how, you know, things evolve, right? You know, you kind of started with this med spa and then that turned into the skincare products and then you've got the nutrition products. Where do you see things going from here? Other than obviously taking over the US a little bit, what else do you see? Well, the other area of our business that has been quite successful, we had a really incredible wellness summit last year. We had practitioners from all over the world come and speak at our event. And that event, I think, genuinely put us on the map in Australia. There was a lot of hype around that event. People have, with so many people have reached out. We also got opportunities even with our product through, like we've been with Poosh and we're in the Oscar nominee bags. And there was sort of in the last 12 months, there's been a lot of hype around a lot of the things that we're doing. So the events is another component that we see as a business. We'll do biannually, but we've also been reached out to take that event to Dubai next year. That sort of came out of a gentleman flying in for our event and going, let's take this overseas so we're working we've got a team that we're building around that as well now I guess and I don't want to sound cliche but that side of things we want to be almost like the next goop of Australia our wellness medispa long term we'd like to grow to more than one location we would consider going into the US it is on our plans to have our space go over there but I would say that's a three to five year plan but really the Kylo Nutrition we want is our biggest focus right now. That's where we've had to invest a lot of our funding. America, we want to really go hard with that and sort of get a global presence from there on after and then build on the skin and then build on the Medi Spa. So I feel like Kyla Nutrition is our real big focus outside, obviously, of our main business. But our main business is what has given us opportunities to do these things. Without that business, we wouldn't have created Kyla Nutrition. Yeah. So what are some things that you do to improve yourself so that you can best lead your company? Yeah, that's an interesting question because if I look back on my journey so far, my early years of Kylo, I was very in the business. I was physically working. I was task orientated. Everything was in the now. And I think in the last 12 months, my personal growth, I have seen change significantly from you're not running a Medispa anymore. You have to step outside of that. You've got a whole team in a headquarters where you've got nutrition, you've got skin, you've got a marketing team, you've got events people and sort of step up into that CEO where you're more big picture, five-year planning, project work, connections, relationship building. And I feel my passion has always been people and managing people. And the shift for me has been, the hardest part has been not having such a close relationship to every single person in the team and letting go of that and that it's okay that you have people between you because my favourite part is the team and you're like a family but you have to accept that you have to work more, what's the word, sort of like you're one person removed if that makes sense and I think that journey has been a positive and a negative for me but I've had to come to that acceptance of like that's where you need to go. And then you have that imposter syndrome that comes in like, can I be a CEO of an international company? What can I do to better myself? So I do business mentoring and I do a lot of reading. I watch a lot of podcasts. I mean, I listen to people like yourself talk at executive summits that are made. 
and I want to start to do, I know universities in America have those like short one week high level courses. That's my next goal is to, you know, go to Harvard and do their business one week course. And that would be like, a, that would be very confronting for me because I didn't go to university. And that's always been a bit of a stigma for me around. So I kind of want to confront that and just go and do something like that for myself. Do you work with an executive coach at all or a therapist or do you have other entrepreneur network that you rely on as well? Yeah, I think, you know, my business partner and her husband are very successful separately to Kylo. I feel lucky to be in a business partnership. I think that always gives you that comfort. You should have someone I can call anytime, bounce off. So we work really well together. But I think I'm about to engage somebody I met actually overseas in New York who works quite high level and has been a CEO of big businesses that is going to do some six-month coaching because my, my, I guess, interest now is understanding the US market. So how do I build my brain to understand to be a CEO and connect with the American business world? It's very different to the Australian business world. So I'm about to go down that journey as well. That's great. Yeah, I think any type of coaching and therapy and community of other entrepreneurs, especially since they can get pretty lonely, has uh, been just repeated over and over on the show as a great asset to leaders. That's great. And so I guess before we start to wrap up a little bit, what is, I guess you kind of hit on a few things, but you know, grand vision, you said would be Goop of Australia. What's next for the brand kind of coming soon? And what's some final advice you have for aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in the trenches right now? What's next for Cairo in the short term from August as we will have that product in the US. So that's building that brand presence over there and then building a bigger community here in Australia. So we're starting to look for our next space. But I think really it's just building credibility and brand awareness for Kylo Nutrition is our key focus for now. And for aspiring entrepreneurs, it's, it's a question my husband and I talk about, are you born an entrepreneur or are you taught to be an entrepreneur? I personally feel like there's a component of both. If I didn't have the upbringing that I had, would I still be where I am today? I don't think so. Without having parents that really taught you what it meant, you know, so I think to advice for me or to give is understanding how much money are you willing to lose before you even get started? Because that's a question that was thrown at both my business partner and I only six months ago, and we had never had that conversation. We never said how much money are we willing to lose. And I think you have to know because you have to have a cutoff point. If things are not going the way that they're meant to be going, when will you decide to give up or when do you decide to keep going? Two things, remove your ego, be vulnerable, listen to others, ask for help, and always surround yourself by really positive, successful, humble people because you don't want to lose sight that you don't know it all and you are never going to know it all. No matter how successful, you can always learn from somebody else and have someone who plays devil's advocate is also super key because sometimes you get caught up in, I'm going this way and this is the right way, but sometimes you need someone to put that doubt in your head so you ask yourself the right questions because you can forget to do that. And just know that um, when you go into business, it's full commitment, 24-7, seven days a week, how much sweat equity you put in. I don't think people realize until they get into business that profit doesn't come for years because every dollar you make goes back in to build that business. So 
think it's a five, ten year plan before you can even consider being successful. I think I think a lot of people go in and go, I'm not successful. It's been 12 months, where's the money? It's a long road, right? I mean, you would know that, you know, having been in businesses as well. I think that's something and making calculated risks. You've got to be a risk taker, but you've got to be a smart risk taker. That's true. What's something that you've had to calculate as a risk or when's the last time you were calculating risk? I would say almost every day for the last six months. From a business perspective, we have taken from Kylo Medispa and created Kylo Nutrition, but we've had to also put money in. And then you're making decisions, what you will do with that money. How do you promote with that money? Do you spend more money over here? And it's a different beast to a service-orientated business. We've I've never been in product before. My business partner and I are learning as we go at the moment. So we're slowing things down and being more considered. I think last year we probably went a bit too quick, too fast. A lot of opportunities came at once. That's another piece of advice. Not every opportunity you have to take straight away. Like I think you get, oh, we're so lucky, we're so lucky. Yes, yes, yes. But hold on, how do we do all this? How do we finance all this? So this year we're like, let's make really good decisions and let's take 72 hours after making that decision to confirm that decision. That's my new rule, 72 hours. <laughs> oh, really? To put that time buffer in? Yeah, because sometimes you make that snap decision. But it, when you take a couple of days to think about something, you get different ideas and views on that. I've noticed how much better the decisions are as a team that we're all doing it. It's really good to come back to that decision before locking it in. It's like when you write an email sometimes that's a bit firm or, you know, where you've got to get a point across. Like you need to let it sit in the draft box for 24 hours. Especially if you're a little <laughs> fired up and I'm that way. I'm, yeah. I can get a little fiery, not fiery in a bad way, but I get, you know, I'm passionate. So I need to step back. If I'm like, all right, I've got to yeah. put it down in the email and I step away and then I'm like, all right, I got to cool off and come back and reread this to make sure that it doesn't come across too much. You know, yeah. there's a, say, there's a balance. Not react rightly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's good to have maybe someone else take a quick read, you know, make sure that they interpret it the way you're hoping it's going to come across. You know, I'm a little direct sometimes. So is my husband. So it's like, you know, uh, good to have some (laughs) other perspectives. But yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Christy, for being on the show today. Really enjoyed hearing your story and building Kylo. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Lee. It was an absolute pleasure. I had a great time chatting with you today. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.